This is the Forbes interview on Podcast One. And I'm your host, Steve Bertoni. On this show, I'll do deep dive interviews with billionaires, entrepreneurs, and influencers. These are the faces you see on the cover of Forbes. And if they aren't in the cover, they easily could be. Before we get going, I have a favor to ask of you. We'd really appreciate it if you took part in a survey that would take no more than five minutes. I know, I hate taking surveys too, but by filling it out, you'll help us keep this podcast free to download and with minimal ads. The survey is anonymous. There are two ways to access it. Go to podcastone.com forward slash my survey or go to podcastone.com and click the survey banner. And now back to the show. Welcome to the special Valentine's Day edition of the Forbes interview podcast. And very appropriately, we have the founder and chairman of Tinder, the world's hottest dating app, Sean Rad, here on the show today. Sean, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me, Steve. So let's talk Tinder here. You just recently moved to the chairman's role. You're looking yep. to make some big investments um, in the social and dating and relationship game. What's new? What's what's cool at Tinder these days? We have a lot of exciting things that we're working on. Um, you know, on on. We just launched Tinder Social, and um, that is going incredibly well. I think there's definitely demand amongst our users to find new ways to connect um, and connect with people that are particularly going out tonight. And there's some exciting stuff happening on that front. But overall, we're focused on on innovating and advancing the ways that you can make new connections, particularly romantic ones. And I think Swipe, Swipe Ventures is focused on acquiring companies that will not only accelerate sort of our five-year vision for what Tinder can be along along the dating side, but then also taking our core competencies and, and applying them to sort of adjacent businesses and growing and diversifying the business. So I'm so excited for that. Yeah, you just mentioned Swipe Ventures, which is kind of the new investment arm of Tinder. And you recently moved over to the chairmanship of Tinder, but also the lead swipe. Kind of what was the thinking there and what are you guys up to? Well, so I came back as CEO about uh, two years ago or a, year, a little over a year and a half ago. And for me, the goal was to expand Tinder to allow us to really operate with an international footprint because we have users in 196 countries and you know, scaling the organization and thinking internationally, thinking globally was, was sort of a big step for us. And you know, my second goal was to make sure that we were you know, financially in a position where we can fund our ambitions for years to come. And I felt like both of those things were well in place um, and I was very happy with where the company was at, very happy with our trajectory and where we were going on the growth side. And I wanted to sort of take the next step when it comes to growing the business, which is going out there and figuring out what are the, what are the businesses that we can acquire to empower, I think, our five-year roadmap, and what are sort of new businesses that we can get into where we have where we bring something unique to the table. And we do see some big changes coming in the technology space in the next three to five years even. And sort of my goal is to make sure that we're making investments to make sure that Tinder is going to be around for, for decades. Show us your crystal ball and what kind of what, what changes are we looking to see? Well, I think there's there's uh, I think a behavior change, which is with the advancement of AI, I think you're going to see 
interfaces and user experiences that require less work and input from the user. You know, you look at you look at the the, the landscape today in mobile, and you know, you open your phone, you scroll a lot, you scroll through a lot of content. And you're, you know, the, the signal to noise ratio is sort of not where I think it's going to be in the coming years. I think you're going to, we're going to, we're going to move towards uh, a world where I open an app or I talk to my device and I get an answer. I ask a question and I get an answer. I don't do a lot of work. I don't navigate too much. Um, I'm not given too many options. And I think, you know, th- that's going to be fueled by AR in particular. And I think AI is going to help make um, a world where you're sort of spending less time being inundated with with sort of content and noise and more time sort of focusing on on quality and like the answers. And so so basically you think so so Siri will be doing the swiping for me on Tinder? No, I don't think uh, Siri's going to be doing the swiping per se, but I think there might be a moment when Tinder is just so good at predicting, you know, the few people that you're interested in, and Tinder might do a lot of the legwork in organizing a date, right? So imagine you open Tinder one day and, and you know, the, the, the Tinder assistant says, you know, Sean, there's a, there's a beautiful um, girl, someone that you're going to find very attractive in, you know, down the street. You have a lot of things in common. And, you know, your, your common friend is Justin. And you're both free Thursday night. And there's this great concert that you both want to go to. And, and can I set up a date? And, you know, here's a little bit more info about her. Whereas right now, I have to do a lot of work and swipe and chat in order to sort of get to a quality moment where I go out there and, and and have a wonderful date. I think you might get to the point where a lot of those nuances can be predicted for you and Tinder delivers the answer instead of asking you to, to, to input as much as it does right now. And I think that's going to that's gonna happen across every app. And that's going to be fueled with new input interfaces like AR and uh, the different ways that I think we're going to interact with information. I mean, that sounds really powerful, but at the same time, maybe a little bit freaky about the power and how much Tinder knows. And these days I feel... A lot of people, they love the convenience of Amazon and Google and Facebook and Tinder, but we're worried that these companies know too much about us. Do you think there's going to be a backlash or how do you get over that that kind of uh, creepy factor when uh, your phone just knows so much about you and the world around you? You know, I I definitely think there are risks to uh, advancements in technology, right? Uh, I mean, you look over the over you know many centuries, there there are both pros and cons. I think for me, the 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 bigger risks come to sort of the the psychology of people, and I think right now you're already living in a world where you don't have to do a lot of work to sort of get what you want. And I think that is changing patterns and behavior in the sense that, you know, right now I open my app and I click a button and I get food. I sort of have everything coming towards me. And I think that's creating a society that is impatient. So I'm not too worried about um, the privacy implications because I think we'll figure that out. And you know, obviously, the more advanced technology gets, I think the more, unfortunately, we have to sacrifice a level of, of privacy. And that's been true amongst all technical advancements over the last, you know, many centuries. I'm more concerned about the sort of sociological risks, because I think you're already seeing a lot of behavior change in society that is, is a little concerning right now. I mean, you imagine before mobile phones, 
when we would have an issue or experience something difficult in our lives, we would spend time talking to our friends and we would, we would grow as individuals. We would become closer with our friends. And now instead of doing that, we're sort of numbing ourselves. We're picking up our phone and distracting ourselves from our issues because it's so easy to be distracted these days. It's a big escape hatch. It's a good escape hatch. I mean, once upon a time, you, you sort of had the option of, you know, confiding in your friends and learning from what's happening to you or, you know, getting the quick little dopamine rush, which is alcohol or drugs or falling into some bad um, patternistic behavior. And now you have sort of this third option that no one is sort of categorizing um, as a drug, which is all the, the content that is being pushed to us and the the numbingness or the the void that that gives us, the ability that gives us to sort of ignore our issues. And I'm more concerned with a world where people are impatient, don't really feel like they need to work for things because different technologies and AI and whatnot is sort of handing you solutions. Um, I think what makes us unique is our, you know, humanities, you know, desire, but also the fact that we work for things and that through that, that hardship, we actually learn and we grow as individuals. And I think once you take that away, I'm sort of terrified of what happens to society. Well, as a journalist, I'll take the booze over the content any day. <laughs> Uh, and it's interesting. In terms, you were mentioning like, you know, in the tech world, it's everyone's always moving forward. If you're not changing, if you're not innovating, you're going to die. Um, but you know, companies like Tinder, like the beauty of Tinder, one of the reasons why it was so successful and it went so viral that the app and the the platform is so simple and slick and minimalist um, and effective. Uh, how do you keep on moving forward and adding features without killing that beautiful minimalism of the original app? Great question. You know, I actually look at our, our long-term vision as simplifying the app even further. You know, it's, uh, the, <laughs> I love this Albert Einstein quote. It's actually on the, on the website for Swipe Ventures, which is any fool can um, make things uh, bigger, more violent, more complex, but it takes a touch of genius to go in the opposite direction. I think mm-hmm. simplifying things and getting to sort of the essence of what people are trying to do, the core sort of issue they're trying to solve takes a lot of thought and takes a lot of, um, you know, a lot of technology sometimes to sort of do that. So I look at Tinder right now. And the funny thing is people think it's simple. And I actually think it's very complex. It's too, too complicated in the sense that, you know, to paint that picture that I said, five years from now, imagine I just touch a button and the app has already scheduled a date for me tonight. You can imagine that that is transformative and way more simple than the current experience. So I sort of like to think of always ask myself, how can we further simplify this? How can we get further to the essence of what we're trying to do? Um, and, you know, that takes a lot of behavior change and a lot of technology. And you mentioned finding the essence. I mean, I think if you ask most users the essence of Tinder, they just say, you know, to hook up. What is the, do you agree on that? Or what's kind of, what do you see as the essence of what you're building? No, you know, if you, if you ask your users, 80% of them say that they're on Tinder looking for something meaningful, right? And I mean, if you ask my inbox and the thousands of emails I get a day from people getting buried or having life-changing experiences, um, it sort of says something different. For us, the mission of Tinder is to remove the barriers and the anxieties in making new connections. We're on this earth to meet new people, to connect with new people, and, you know, especially with some of the, the sort of social issues I was talking about earlier, it's becoming increasingly harder to make new connections. And I think those, 
Tinder's mission is to take that complexity away and to create a new connection that could change your life in some way. It could be a you know, a short relationship that does have an impact on your overall perspective or happiness, or it could be, you know, it could be that Tinder introduces you to like the one person that you spend your life with. I mean, Steve, you and I were talking about this, I remember a while ago. And if, if, if I asked you like, what was like the one moment probably other than your, you know, your, the, the birth of, of, of your two children, like what, what was like the one big moment of your life, the, the big sort of changing force in your life? you would probably say marrying your wife, right? Well, after meeting you, yeah, that's third. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, abso- absolutely. I mean, it changes everything. Every aspect of your life is changed by meeting that person. Exactly. So, I in, my, th- in my case, for the much, much better. Right. I think the most important thing you know, we can do as a company is to make sure that everyone gets the opportunity to meet someone new. Right. And everyone gets the opportunity to experience what you experienced. I think that's the probably the greatest thing you can do or the greatest sort of contribution you can have to society. Yeah. And you guys at Tinder, I mean, you really have changed. You've changed society. I mean, just I think just anecdotally, if you all talk about my fr- single friends, you go out to bars in New York or L.A., like Tinder has changed the social scene. Um, and I love the stories of you hear about all the different Tinder adventures and coincidences and just connections. How do you see it? And what, have you, what kind of feedback are you guys hearing about how Tinder's changing the way everyone, you know, meets and dates and mates and all that stuff? Yeah. I mean, we're, look, to put it in perspective, we've created over 26 billion, uh, sorry, 20 plus billion matches on the app since we've launched, right? And countless number of those have become... 20 billion? It's billion with a B? 26, yeah, 20 billion with a B. You know, that, that's countless marriages, friendships, relationships, people that would have never have met, never have known each other. So, you know, you, you, you think about that in the world, I think we've made the world a little closer, right? And we've created a, what I hope is a little more empathetic society in that you've sort of had the opportunity to meet new people and hopefully those connections have changed your life in some way. I think, you know, that, that excites us. And there's certainly a lot of pundits who would say that making it easier to make new connections, you know, might have a negative impact. But I think the positive impact Tinder has had on society uh, and on people's lives drastically outweighs some of the the sort of negative contributions. But, you know, we're so proud of what we've done. And I mean, again, it's, it's these stories that you hear every day. I can't go one day without sort of either randomly here or someone targeting me out in the streets telling me how they're, you know, either they got married uh, from someone they dated on Tinder or their best friend is married or it's changed their lives in some way, which is, I think, the most rewarding thing of my life. Yeah, no, you see it in the, in the, um, the New York Times now. People used to lie, but now they say they met on Tinder. It's kind of, it's hard to open up those Sun- Sunday Times and see someone who hasn't met on Tinder. Yep. And you guys send, you guys get a little, you get some Tinder swag, right? If you get, uh, if you get married through Tinder? Yep. Whenever people let us know that they've entered a successful relationship, we'll send them a whole goodie bag. But we're actually working on doing something better than that, which we'll roll out. Uh, I think in the coming months, we're going to sort of go above and beyond for people who are, are getting married off of Tinder. Can you give me a hint? Are you like paying for the honeymoons? Something like that. <laughs> And it's interesting, like, and, you're, it's, and Tinder has changed, you know, it's changed nightlife, it's changed the social scene. I remember you telling me that story about uh, that big New York City club guy that mentioned yeah. how Tinder's kind of changing. Can you uh, share that with the listeners? I thought that was yeah. really, uh, really poignant. It's great. So, I think it's very interesting. 
So I was at, I was at an event one night, and uh, a a really sweet man who I guess owns, you know, most of the nightlife. Not not just talking about clubs, but restaurants, bars within New York. He sort of just approached me. He's like, "Hey, did you create Tinder?" And I'm like, "Yes." And um, he's like, "Well, I just want you to know you've destroyed my business." And I was like, "What?" <laughs> I'm like, I don't even, like, who are you? What do you do? And I have no idea what you're talking about. And he told me he's in the restaurant business. And I was like, how, what, would, what does Tinder have anything to do with the restaurant business or with, you know, the club business? And he said, well, you know, the same person who would probably spend, you know, multiple nights a week with their friends spending a lot of money looking for someone to sort of go out with or have a meaningful conversation with or hook up with or date or whatever, that same person is meeting on Tinder and spending one hundredth the money at one of my smaller restaurants and smaller establishments and is is sort of spending more time one on one getting to know that person. I was like and I just told him, I was like, that's fantastic. I'm like, not for you, but I think it's great for the world. I think he said, you know, he said, oh, yeah, the same customer who would come to my club and spend 10,000 bucks on bottle service with the hope of meeting some interesting people are instead taking that same person out for a, uh, you know, hundred dollar dinner uh, yeah. dinner on date. It's, it's pretty yeah. wild. Yeah. And I want to take a step back because I'm not sure everyone um, listening knows. Like, tell me about the origin story of Tinder. How did this come about? Yeah. So, you know, I was going through a phase in my life where I think four and a half, five years ago, where I was really frustrated by the fact that I, you know, there were all these people that I wanted to get to know and wanted to meet, but I didn't really have the courage to walk up to them and talk to them. I'm, you know, I wouldn't say I'm shy. I'm just very shy at first. Like it takes a while for me to open up to people. And, you know, I didn't really have the courage to walk over and say hello to a girl that I found interesting or attractive. And I realized one day that if, you know, I do have the courage once I believe that that person wants to meet me too and likes me too. And really like my confidence kind of goes up and I sort of, you know, figure that that is sort of the problem, whether they want to admit it or not, that everyone has like you're, there are people you want to meet in this world you're just afraid that they don't also want to meet you. So you don't pursue those connections. Yeah. It's a whole fear of rejection. Exactly. So sort of had like just an epiphany. Well, okay. You know, we could easily make that go away, that fear go away. And that was where the idea from Tinder came from, which is it was sort of, I equated it to like someone giving a little glance across the room, which was like sort of an indication of I'm interested, but I'm not going to put myself out there and walk over and bombard you. I'm just letting you know mm -hmm. I'm interested. And that's what like a swipe is on Tinder. It's a lot less intimidating than messaging someone than walking over, but it just throws a little feeler out there. And if that person wants to meet you, then you can sort of take the next step. Yeah. I mean, that's the brilliance is kind of that, uh, the double buy-in, you know, you, you're not seeing yep. that person unless they like you. So it kind of, it's the ultimate icebreaker. Totally. And how did you take that and, you know, turn it from an idea to actual tech? Yeah, so um, I assembled a team. We were actually, I started a different company when I came up with this idea. And the team working for me had a little bit of free time. So we, we ended up building 
Tinder is a little prototype. It was called Matchbox at the time. It was you and two or three guys? Yeah. It was me, Justin Mateen, John Bedeen, sort of my two co-founders, and, and you know Joe Muniz and a few other people who were around at the time. The sort of core team was me, Justin, and me, Justin, and John, but a lot of people contributed to the overall creation. And, and I've met and I've met Justin I've met Justin before and Justin has no problem going up to strangers in bars, does he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a lot of great stories. So we created it and I think we we sort of you know, we didn't really know what to expect. We thought you know, everyone thought it was an interesting idea. Actually not everyone on the team was supportive of it yet because most of the team wanted to work on the other company we were working on. They're actually resentful that I was pushing them to build this other app. And what was that? Really quick, what was the other project? It was it was called Cardify, and it was it was, it was this really innovative local loyalty program, which you know I think still could have been really successful. It's just Tinder exploded, and we had to focus on scaling it. It was sitting there for a while, for like a month, and then I remember one day Justin was just like, we were just sort of thinking, how are we going to get this out into people's hands? And um, we had the simple idea of just spamming everyone in our address book. So, so Justin took my phone, his phone, everyone's phone, and was like, here's the message. We're going to text everyone saying, do you want to know who likes you nearby? And this is just our friends. I mean, we texted everyone. Um, <laughs> and, and next thing you know, I mean, I think overnight we had 200 users, but then something interesting happened, which was the next day it, it became 250. And I was like, Justin, did you text anyone else? And he said, no. And I was like, okay. And, and then it became like 500, like just again, the next day. And it, it was, it was growing at this exponential rate and something was happening, which was through word of mouth, people were talking about it. But then we started getting messages from our friends saying that, you know, so-and-so, I remember one of my friends called me and said that I'm going on a date with Jackie. And I was like, with Jackie? I'm like, but you guys have known each other for so long. What happened? He's like, hmm. we sw- she swiped right on Tinder. I swiped. I wasn't swipe. She, we didn't have the swipe back then. But she liked me. I liked her. I didn't know if she really liked me. And, and now we're going out. And I thought that was like the magical moment for me. I was like, these two people have known each other for so long, have never admitted to each other that they're interested, have never had the ability. Like, imagine that was a missed opportunity. And we saw it in this small little case study changing our friends' lives. And then I knew we, we were onto something. And four years later, you know, tens of millions of users in over 196 countries. And, you know, I think as, as we talked about, it's had a significant impact on, I think, on a lot of people's lives. When you're wearing the right outfit, it feels good. Like good hair day kind of good. Phone charge to 100% good. Getting dressed can feel just like that when you have a Trunk Club stylist. Because not only do we send you lots of outfits and accessories, we also teach you how to style them. And since we're a Nordstrom company, you know you'll be well taken care of. Look and feel great every single day with Trunk Club. Meet your personal stylist at trunkclub.com. That's T-R-U-N-K-C-L-U-B.com. That's interesting too. Like you always think about the fear of rejection with strangers, but there's also the fear of the awkward moment with uh, telling a friend that you you know might have a crush, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, think <laughs> about think about all those all those mix misconnections. So you had you went from you know three or four guys you know in an apartment building this together to how big is Tinder now? I mean, I know it's part of Match Group and a whole mm-hmm. large corporate structure, but what, what's the headcount now? So Tinder's um, at about two hundred people mostly based in Los Angeles, and we have an office in Palo Alto. In addition to that, we have across the world, you know, th- those are the full-time employees, but across the world, 
you know, there's a very large group of contractors and agencies and people that really help us keep a pulse of what's happening internationally. We have our international team in Los Angeles, but I think the big challenge for us was sort of going from, you know, thinking globally with everything that we do and, you know, treating all of our users and all of our markets sort of as a priority instead of just thinking very U.S. centric. And we've been able to do that in the last year and a half. And it's really just changed the fabric of how we think. Speaking of how you think, like you guys went just in just four years from a scrappy little startup, you know, experimenting with a couple ideas to you know, being a 200 person massive you know, corporation. How do you go from that kind of quick, loose founder to you know, running and operating a, a big shop like that? Oh, gosh. I think a lot of learning, humility, openness to change. Definitely no one is born, I think, innately with the qualities of leading a large team. I think it's something that you have to learn and really dedicate yourself to and master. And you know, I've had I've had great mentors around me who've been kind enough to teach me and I've made mistakes and I've learned from those mistakes. And, you know, every day I'm 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 just growing. You have to keep growing and learning. I think that's that's the key to life. No one no one sort of walks into anything with the answers. And if, and if you yeah. say you do, then you're lying. I think <laughs> what I think makes one person more capable than the other is their ability to listen and, and learn. What key takeaways have you uh, learned from mentors just through mistakes? Anything you can share with uh, kind of quick lessons that you wish you knew uh, five years ago? Oh, my gosh. There's, I could probably fill up a thousand pages. Um, you know, I think... One of the biggest recent, I'll tell you a recent lesson that I've had. I mean, not not necessarily from mentor, but I've had mentors help me sort of think through this. Big companies, once you sort of achieve something big, there's this pressure to go bigger, right? Mm-hmm. And to do something bigger. But I think when you really think about how that, like big companies are are easily spoiled with their success. And what I mean by that is most of the great innovation of our time didn't necessarily happen because someone was working backwards from some massive high pressure vision, right? It happened because someone was experimenting. They had the freedom to sort of pursue what at the time felt like something small or something niche. But then once they sort of got in there and developed something and really listened to the people using it, they were able to uncover something bigger. So I think big companies, when they're looking for what that next thing is, sort of start from the point of it has to be greater than the thing that we have. And the irony there is that creates so much pressure around innovation that it actually makes it hard to innovate. You know, great ideas and innovation and everything, you know, can't come from high pressure environments. It really stagnates creativity and and growth. You sort of have to create an environment where people can safely experiment, fail, learn from those failures, iterate, um, and try new things. And I think that's what, you know, you look at companies like Google and Facebook and how they've been able to have repeat successes. And it's because they foster those kind of environments. And that's easier said than done in a large organization. But yeah, how do you set the team up for success like that? I think the important thing is that one is sort of cultural, right? That you are promoting you are allowing people to explore or allocate a level of resources. You know, they're not going to, you can't bet the farm, but it's okay to spend some time and some amount of money in exploring an idea you're deeply passionate about, 
right? If there's something that, you know, a, an engineer or a developer or a product person thinks is really important to our users, then you got to make sure that all of those ideas, no matter how small, are being surfaced up. Hmm. And, and that the ones that are being advocated for and that are important to users are funded when they're obvious. And if they're not immediately obvious, at least there's some leeway to go and test something and come back and prove that there's demand for this thing. So you have to sort of have an environment where people can ask for resources and and experiment. And then you sort of have to orient the team where people are set up for success in doing so. So, you know, I think smaller little startup-like teams within a larger organization where you have a smaller team that sort of readily has access to the different people and resources it would need to sort of prove out or prototype something allows you to move faster. And, you know, I always say, you know, we try to be very big on talking about our broader mission, but what our values are and what are the things that we believe in and how we build, but not really confining everyone to like a single way of thinking or anything, because we want people to have the freedom to explore. We want to share values. We don't necessarily, uh, or sort of have a common belief system, but we don't want to necessarily share one way of doing things. Because I think that's when you you might get, you know, someone, some younger company in a garage will come and disrupt you. Yeah, that, that uh, nimble, quick environment you mentioned kind of sounds like your new role as the head of, of Swipe. And you, yeah. you know, you've had the, you've been in the CEO chair in and out a couple times now. Mm-hmm. What was behind your latest decision to move to a chairman role and kind of take up this venture side or more experimental side of Tinder versus um, running the trains? Yeah, I mean, it, it goes back to what I was talking about, which is, you know, we're only we're only 200 people, which for the size of Tinder, that is a pretty small team given the the long list of things that, you know, we have to do. And when there are so many high priority items that are sort of critical to the next year or the next two years, things like scaling and things like addressing immediate user issues, it becomes increasingly difficult to to inspire the team to think about things that are five years out or that are, you know, even even three years out. So the idea I had behind Swipe Ventures is let's make sure that someone and that some team is focusing on those longer term bets and that we're able to acquire different companies that might map into those bets and that we're able to go out there and actively see what's out there and what people are thinking about and listen to the market and listen to the different ideas out there and bring them home when when necessary. So, which I think most big companies, you look at Facebook, Google, whatnot, at a certain point, they they reach the next level of growth through acquisition. I mean, you you look at Snapchat. Even Snapchat, you know, bought a few companies that resulted in lenses and that resulted in a lot of their core innovations that are helping them grow today. And Facebook, you know, where would they be if they didn't buy Instagram or if they didn't buy WhatsApp? They might not be as big as they are. Or they might not even be around. So I think countless examples for Google as well. I think at a certain point, once you've reached a level of maturity, I think. M and A has to be part of uh, has to be part of the overall strategy, and I really wanted to make sure it was done right, and we were making smart decisions in the companies that we were looking at. So, it, you know, it was exciting sort of next step for me in growing the company, and I wanted to be more hands on in that. You guys just recently made an acquisition, correct? Yeah, we've made we've made a few. I don't know if we've announced. You know, we've acquired some companies at Tinder in the past. Yes, and you know, we might have some stuff to announce on on Swipe soon. You know, you've been a founder. You've been 
a CEO and now you're almost a kind of a venture capitalist in a way or a futurist. <laughs> How do you do that new job and kind of like what's the, like the day in the life of, uh, of searching for the next hot thing in, uh, in dating and social? I think it's extremely rewarding because when you're in the grind and when you're waking up at 5.30 a.m. and going to the office and going home late and you're spending every minute in meetings, again, dealing with some of the challenges we have right in front of us, it doesn't really afford you with a lot of time to just sit and think. I think that's like, to me, like the time to think is actually one of the most underrated commodities we have. Like I think time and, and the freedom to actually just explore is so valuable. Um, so creating that space for me where I can, you know, have a few hours during the day where I can actually explore some of these companies and think about the future has been transformative for me. You know, I still Tinder still my number one priority. I probably spend, you know, 60, 70% of my time at Tinder, on Tinder still. Um, but having this extra space has, has been transformative for for uh, for me personally and I think for the company. So in other words, you're an LA guy, so you spend all afternoon in cafes just eating avocado toast, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's a nice fantasy, but no. I mean, I, I like I, I, I like avocado toast, but like, you know, I'm not in cafes all day. Probably more like running by the cafe, you know, grabbing one to go, eating it in the car. You know, in terms of the tech scene, even outside of Tinder, what are you seeing right now? What is interesting? What is hot? I feel like, you know, as a tech journalist, everyone's always asking me, like, what's the new big thing? Who are the cool startups? And I know it comes in phases, but right now it's the established companies, whether it's the Ubers, the Tinders, the Facebooks, mm-hmm. the Googles that are doing the cool stuff. What's the cool new stuff you're seeing? The more established players are increasingly, you know, fascinating me. When you think of sort of like the S-curve of mobile or like the S-curve of technology, you know, you could argue maybe we're at the end of the curve and... A lot of people would say that we're at the end of the curve and people like there's no new, you know, great mobile ideas and it's everything's oversaturated and people are exhausted of the, you know, another app. Um, But I disagree. I think I think we're definitely not at the end of the curve. I think in certain probably segments, there's been a lot of saturation, but I think. There's so many markets and there's so many opportunities still and there's so many areas where the efficiencies and the advancements of, of uh, that, that can be afforded through a mobile device have not sort of penetrated those markets. So I think, you know, that 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 is interesting. But but, you know, that's more in the short term. In the long term, the thing that fascinates me is is augmented reality. I think AR... Is it like Magic Leap or something different? Yeah, well, you know, the, the, the promise of it, you know, having a contact lens in my eye or, or, or some glasses that then will allow me to interface with what I'm looking at in a different way. I think that when that becomes reality, that will probably be one of the most transformative user interface leaps to how we access information. And I think AI is going to fuel that. So I think artificial intelligence and the advancements there are just are just fascinating and mind-boggling. And I think, you know, once AR AI becomes a reality, I think we'll have one of the most dramatic shifts. Every space is going to be ripe for disruption and I think you'll have one of the biggest you know, shifts in industry, but also in society. I think from a sociological standpoint, the world as we know it is going to just massively change. And what do you think is the most the most overrated future technology everyone's talking about? I think virtual reality is the most overrated. I don't see it. I don't think it's a reality. I think it might be cool for gaming. Um, 
and some other some other industries, but I I would hate to think of a world where we are sitting in a room and have goggles on and are yeah. interacting with people through It feels lonely. Doesn't it feel like lonely? It feels like lonely and creepy, doesn't it? Yeah, it's lonely, it's creepy, it's horrible. I mean, and you know what? The alternative is just too good. It's 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 so much better to actually see the person. So I think, you know, I look at what I've spent most of my life on and a Tinder as getting you out there in the real world. It's like reality, not virtual reality. So like the concept of virtual reality, um, I think is problematic on so many levels. And I think counter to human behavior and nature at so many levels, but, but also it's just not cool. It's like, who wants to walk around with like <laughs> goggles? Like, I, I don't think that's fun. So yeah, it's hard to look, it's hard to look cool with an Oculus on your head. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's cool for gaming, you know, gaming is interesting with virtual reality, but I think yeah. some of the bigger theories on what virtual reality is going to do to society, like, I just don't buy it. I'm curious to see what happens when you blend um, Tinder with self-driving cars. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing's for sure, in, in, a, in, a, in a world of, you know, self-driving cars, which is, you know, really going to be powered by artificial intelligence, or in the world of AR, AI, I think what we're left with is more time. And the question is, what do we do with that more time? Again, I think time is the most is the thing that people don't value enough or think about enough. Like, what is the impact of having a lot of time and versus the impact of not having a lot of time, both on 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 human psychology in the world? I think it's fascinating. You think of a world where imagine what your life would be like if you're not waking up early and, you know, like feeling the anxiety of like having to run around to the next meeting to the next meeting. And you're just there with all this time to think, what would you do? Like your, your, your life would just change. Like if you sit in a room, here's an experiment for everyone. Sit in a room for 30 minutes with no distractions, doing nothing, looking at the wall and just see what comes up in your head. It'll probably fascinate you. It's like taking the subway every day. <laughs> right, right. No, but even that has distractions. I'm talking about like in oh, sit in dead silence. Like I think people would be, would be fascinated with what comes to them. And I think that's that's sort of what's happening is like we never we don't do that anymore. Once upon a time, sort of that silence was half our day. Now, there's been no silence, especially this in 2017. Kind of jumping gears here, Sean, Sean, you recently spoke out against the Trump administration immigration ban. And, uh, you know, your family's roots are in Iran. You guys came here as if not official refugees, but you're escaping the administration there. Um, and Iran's obviously on that list of uh, banned um, countries. What do, what's your feeling on that right now? Yeah, my parents moved here. Um, I mean, I was born in, in the U.S., but my parents immigrated here from Iran. They were Iranian Jewish, and um, Iran wasn't a safe environment for them. Um, I think, I think first of all, like, you know, the American people have voted for a new president, and we all have to respect that, and we all have to sort of recognize and accept that this is our president. But what's amazing, and what we all also have to appreciate, is that, you know, we're living in a democracy where people are not only free to elect their official, but they're free to speak up mm -hmm. against something that they don't want. Right. And clearly people are speaking up. And as I said earlier, I think what makes a great leader is, is, is their ability to listen. And I hope that Trump is listening. And personally, I think there are much better ways to solve the problems than the route that the administration has taken. But I'm an optimist and I, you know, I hope the voice of protests and of other, you know, equally as large leaders who've spoken up will sort of penetrate through into the administration. And, you know, it's never too late to 
to modify your ways. Does the ban affect anything at Tinder and Match in terms of employees and teammates and um, just overseas talent? We're fortunate enough that everyone is safe in the U.S. or in their in their sort of residing country. So, you know, hasn't hasn't impacted anyone on our team. You know, but of course, like we were making sure that that was a reality and we were ready to help anyone um, who was in an uncomfortable situation. So, you know, we were there for the team. Tinder is a global platform. It's in many different diverse countries. How is Tinder used in the U.S. versus other countries? And does it have a different uh, cultural impact in different places? I know you're just in Australia and I think you told me before. Yeah. You guys test a lot of features down there because it's a very... uh, enthusiastic fan base, I guess. Yeah. You know, it's, I will say the one interesting thing is, is that Tinder, the behavior, the problem we're solving is sort of universal, right? And the app is so simple, so simple that like everyone can understand it, you know, irregardless of language and everything like that. So, but there definitely are sociological differences between every market and how they think. Like the biggest uh, example is in India, most of the marriages in India and the relationships uh, start from an introduction made by parents. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, Tinder, Tinder has some significant, it is growing extremely fast there. And it is, um, you know, become a movement there in, in sort of people taking back control um, when it comes to their romantic lives and sort of taking it away from their parents and back into their own hands. Yeah, you're democratizing, um, you're democratizing probably the biggest decision you make in your life. Yeah, exactly. So, so you know, that's like one extreme. And then, you know, on, on the other extreme, I think in, in areas where people have, where, you know, romance is already democratized, I think it's had a different impact. So it's interesting to see, you know, how Tinder has empowered people throughout the world. And then in Australia, it's cool. Like we launch, you mentioned this, we launch all our new features in Australia because we found for some reason, Australia picks up and adopts new features, you know, whatever we roll out or we've rolled out in the past, they've adopted things way faster. I guess just culturally, they're more open to change and they're more open to new things. So that's been, that's been fascinating um, for us. Hmm. And it's been a great market for us to test. Like the, the, the volume of feedback we get and the rate of adoption is so much higher there. How often do you use Tinder yourself? I'm on Tinder all the time talking to users to get feedback from them on how we can make that better. Like, so I'll, uh, I'll, I try to talk to at least 10 people a day, whether it's on Tinder, off Tinder, um, uh, about their experience. 10 new people every day. I mean, I don't always hit that quota, but I try to get uh-huh. at least 10 new perspectives on on what Tinder's doing. I mean, like we collect a lot of data at Tinder, so, you know, a lot of our decisions are informed by the quantitative data that we get, but at the end of the day, like I think nothing, doesn't matter how big you are, replaces the one-on-one interaction of talking to someone and asking how they like your product and getting them to open up to you um, and and sort of rip it apart and praise it and whatnot, you know, it doesn't matter how big you are. Do you, you know, I believe that, you know, I hope that I will always uh, at least find, you know, five to 10 people that, that will give me an honest perspective on how Tinder is doing for them. I'm sure you're asked this all the time. I know you're asked this all the time, but could you share a few uh, Tinder tips for uh uh, our listeners? Yeah. Um, my number one, number one thing I tell people is, is be yourself, be authentic in your profile and add more content to your profile. So the more you put in there, um, you know, n- you know, use the bio, 
space that we give you, connect your Instagram, import your interests. Um, and in the photos, you know, don't showcase just what you look like, but what you're interested in. Uh, statistically, those are the more successful profiles. Those are the ones that get the more ma- more matches. Um, it's amazing how great we are today uh, at interpreting photos and interpreting the sort of hidden meaning behind those photos. Like you think about the fact that we're inundated every single day through social media and everything with all these photos that uh, it is it is it's easy for us now to look at a photo and find the hidden meaning. So like we can tell if someone's uh-huh. being fake and not being authentic and that's not attractive. I like a couple of years ago when everyone was posing with tigers on Tinder. That was really authentic. Yeah. I still don't understand that. <laughs> it didn't, but it didn't get last long, which proves my point. It was good. It was good. Good PR for you guys. Yeah. Um, in turn, and you mentioned before how you use Tinder all the time to talk to users. Do you use Tinder for personal reasons? I mean, have you been on a ton of Tinder dates? Uh, I am. I, I had a, a long-standing relationship with someone that I met on Tinder. We're no longer together, but I've met someone new, not from Tinder, so I'm in a relationship. But I use Tinder just to get feedback from users. I don't. I, have, I don't date anyone from Tinder. You got to stick to that story. <laughs> Well, this is great, man. We took a lot of your time. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. Thank you for the time, and that was awesome. That's it for this episode of The Forbes Interview. I'm Steve Bertoni. Please subscribe to The Forbes Interview on iTunes. And while you're at it, leave a five-star rating and review. Your support will help keep the show going. Thanks for listening to The Forbes Interview, made in partnership with Podcast One. When you're wearing the right outfit, it feels good. Like good hair day good. Phone charge to 100% good. Feel that way every single day when you work with a Trunk Club personal stylist. Meet your stylist at trunkclub.com. That's T-R-U-N-K-C-L-U-B.com. At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying. And the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.